Father, we thank you for your precious word. How wonderful it is to be reminded this morning of another of the great promises of God. The promise of forgiveness. Oh, Father, we pray as we open your word that by your Holy Spirit you might come and apply your word to our hearts. That we, if not already, will rejoice in the forgiveness that is offered each and every one of us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in that wonderful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's read together from God's word then. I want to read from the Apostle Paul's letter to the first century church in Rome. And uh, for the sake of time, we'll begin our reading from chapter 7, verse 14. Though perhaps when you go home and meditate upon this morning's service, you might perhaps read maybe, maybe from chapter 6 through to chapter 10. But uh, I won't read all those verses this morning. I'll read from chapter 7, verse 14, and then we'll go into chapter 8 and verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes, We know that the Lord is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So, I find this Lord at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. This is, my friends, the Word of God. May God add a blessing 
uh, to his word and give us the ability this morning to to grapple with this complicated word and find what God has to say through it. Our promise is, as you know, God's promise of forgiveness. The story is told of a pastor in the Philippines, a much-loved man of God, who sadly carried the burden of a secret sin that he had committed many, many years before. He had repented, but he still had no peace, still had no sense of God's forgiveness. In his church, there was a woman who loved God very much and who claimed that she had dreams and visions in which she spoke with God and God spoke with her. The pastor, however, was somewhat skeptical. To see if it was true what she said or claimed, the pastor said to her on one occasion, the next time you speak with God, I want you to ask him a simple question. I want you to ask God what sin your pastor committed whilst he was in seminary. The woman agreed. A few days later, the pastor saw her and asked, Well, did you, did you speak with God? Did God visit with you in your dreams? Yes, pastor, she said. And did you ask him? Did you ask him what sin I committed in seminary? Yes, pastor, I did. She said, well, well, the pastor inquired, what did God say? The woman looked at the pastor and said, he said, I don't remember. <laughs> Beloved, take heart, for in the words of the psalmist, and you've heard it already this morning, as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. The minor prophet puts it like this in Micah 7 verse 19. You, God, will again have compassion upon us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. God will hurl, throw all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. We all do daft things. We all make mistakes. We all sin. Often our sin is born out of hurry or frustration or distraction. Sometimes our sin is born out of selfishness or pride or rebellion. But friends, we are all human and consequently we all sin. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, the Apostle Paul pens one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. Therefore, he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is something in these words, in this wonderful promise of God, that causes our hearts to yearn for God's presence, 
causes our hearts to crave for a manifestation of God in Jesus. For the significant truth here is the fact that in spite of our sin, if, if we are in Christ Jesus, and by God's grace through faith, if by His Holy Spirit, Christ Jesus is in us, then God does not condemn us. Hallelujah. I find this overwhelming. Don't you? God does not condemn us. And when we read this verse, Romans 8 verse 1, in the light of Romans chapter 7, the personal application of its truth really ought to bring us great peace. You see, Romans chapter 7 contains a most powerful insight into the struggle With sin. And what makes it so powerful is that it's the Apostle Paul, brethren, yes. The Apostle Paul who is giving personal testimony and providing us with a glimpse into his own struggles with sin. I find this extraordinarily encouraging. (laughs) Often... Whenever we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of someone who is almost larger than life. We visualize him, the great Apostle, standing boldly defending the faith in front of governors and rulers and even the Roman Emperor himself. We think of his amazing words written in the New Testament, how he instructs the churches to be faithful, how he encourages Timothy and Titus as pastors to remain true to their calling. If you're like me, friends, this morning, it is likely that you put the Apostle Paul on some kind of spiritual pedestal, almost like some kind of spiritual untouchable. But here in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul... The Apostle Paul is giving testimony concerning his own struggle with sin. When you look at the seventh chapter of Romans, we get a peek behind the eyes, so to speak, of the great Apostle. And firstly, we we see Paul the wretched sinner, it seems. We see Paul... Is a lot more human than we might first have thought. Would you believe it, friends? Would you, Adam and Eve, it? The Apostle Paul is a fellow struggler in the faith. Listen to his own words. Romans 7 14, B through 15. I am unspiritual. Really, Paul? I am unspiritual, he says. Soul is a slave to sin. And I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. For what I do is not the good I want to do, he says. No, the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Wow, that's 
revelatory, isn't it? That, that's the Apostle Paul confessing thus. Paul is honest enough to recognize within himself a tendency to get caught in the stranglehold of sin. It is a grip that can become so tight that many believe they are beyond forgiveness. Carl Menninger, the famed psychiatrist, once said, I quote, If, if I could convince the patients in my psychiatric hospital, that the sins were forgiven, 75% of them would walk out of that hospital that very day. Now, that's his opinion. But it's enlightening, wouldn't you say? We sin. We all sin. It happens to us all. Earlier in his letter to the believers gathered in Rome, Paul proclaimed in Romans 3 verse 10, there is no one righteous. Not even one, he says. He later goes on in verse 23 of Romans 3 to say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in Romans 7, he states in effect about his own sin personally. In short, Paul is telling us, hey guys, hey, I struggle with temptation. I struggle with sin. And you know what? Sometimes, I, even I, the Apostle Paul, I lose. Finally, the frustrations, it seems, of losing over and over and over again break through to the surface. As in Romans 7, verses 23 through 24, Paul proclaims, I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Boy, that's a confession, isn't it? What a wretched man I am, he says. What a wretched man I am. Who says it? Paul says it. Paul. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? We endeavor to be patient. We try our best to remain faithful and true. We seek to discipline ourselves and keep strong for the sake of our testimony. But in the blink of an eye, we are caught off guard perhaps and fall so easily, do we not, into temptation and sin. Perhaps on the back of a bad day, feeling bruised and battered by the sharp vexations of life, we slip with the tongue and we carelessly wound and damage our loved ones or even our brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe in a spirit of disillusionment and despair, we wander away from the bosom of Christ and headlong into open rebellion of the Holy Spirit. Yes, friends, you know what is right, you know what is wrong, but you still find yourself slipping into sin. And now you feel like a failure. Now you feel rather stupid. 
Now you feel somewhat dirty. To use the Apostle Paul's language, you feel absolutely wretched. That's how Paul felt. So there's a sense in which we're in good company. (laughs) But as we continue to get an insight into the Apostle Paul's heart, we move with the Apostle from focusing upon Paul the wretched sinner to Paul the forgiven sinner. Saint, we all fail. We all give in. We all feel like the apostle that at times we can cry what a wretched person that we really are. And yet Paul takes us from that place of wretchedness to a place of victory. Chapter 7 verse 25, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for what, Paul? Thanks be to God because I'm a wretched sinner. No, he says, thanks be to God. Because what does he do? He points immediately to Jesus. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's beginning to move, is he not, from this place of wretchedness and and despair and, and sorrow and anguish and pain because he has sinned. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. He knows what's best. But he still finds himself in sin. But thanks be to God, he says, through Jesus Christ. Expressing on Christo, on Jesus Christus. In in Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. The greatest of the promises of, of Scripture in so many ways here, this promise of grace, is that, friends, even when we falter, even when we fail over and over and over again, we have this assurance there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you listening? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow! Really, Paul? Friends, there is security in our relationship with God in Christ if we are on Christo, if we are in Christ. To be in Christ, of course, is of necessity to keep short accounts. <laughs> and by keeping short accounts, we, we daily recognize our need for Christ to cleanse us of our sin, to purify us of all unrighteousness. But we understand that as we confess our sins to God, 1 John 1 verse 7, 8, 9, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us for all unrighteousness. And understanding that, brethren, Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow! Remember the prodigal son. The boy disregarded his father. But he was still the son. 
Was he not? And the boy ran from his father, as it were, and, and disgraced himself in all manner of filthy living. But he was still the son. Fallen from grace, absolutely. Wretched and pitiful, absolutely. But he was still the son. And as the son, my friends, in spite of his wretchedness, as he was there in the pigsty, feeding from the pig's food because he was so desperate, he came to his senses because he was still the son. Hallelujah. Dr. Vernon McGee says, Do you know the difference between the son and the pigs in the pigsty? The difference is that no pig has ever said to himself, I will arise and go to my father. <laughs> but the son, the son can. And the son did. He came to his senses in spite of his wretchedness. He came to his senses in spite of his sin. And he turned to the father. He was expecting the father to come down with a heavy hand of judgment, wasn't he? Oh, take me back as one of, your, one of your hired men, Father. That's what he expected. That's what he deserved, arguably. But what did the Father do? From afar off, he saw his son. And he ran to his son. He ran to his son. And he hugged him. Catched him, you say. He gave him a catch. And he drew him to his own bosom. And even before the son could say anything meaningless, the father says, kill the fatted calf for celebrating. Because he was the son. This son of mine was lost, but he's found again. He was dead, but now he's alive. The father did not condemn him. Because he was the son. Paul wants you to know, my friends, to truly know that God the Father is just as anxious to throw His arms around you and embrace you this morning as the father of the prodigal was anxious. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The story is told of a young boy who was arrested and brought before the magistrate for taking a bag of candy from the shelf of a local store. The owner of the store pressed charges because he wanted the boy to learn a lesson. After a lecture from the judge, the judge asked the boy if he had anything to say before he passed sentence. The boy sat very quietly with his head hung low. And slowly he raised his head and focused his eyes upon the eyes of the judge. And he said simply, Judge, have you ever stolen anything? The room became very quiet. And after a long pause, the judge said, Case dismissed. Friends, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. In Christ we are free. We're free indeed. And this is vitally important for us to understand. It's vitally important for us to embrace it. Why do I say that? Well, brothers and sisters, because if truth be known here this morning, there is condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that condemnation never ever comes from God. But it does come from the accuser of the brethren. It does come from the father of lies, Satan himself, who admittedly sometimes uses weak vessels to channel his accusations against the sons and daughters of God. I suppose we expect the accusations of a hostile and ignorant world. How much more does it hurt us when those accusations come from within the confines of the Christian church? When those fiery darts come, as it were, from the bows of Christian brothers and sisters? Such is the subtlety of the enemy. Oh, my friends, God does not condemn us if we are in Christ. But there is condemnation as the devil our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion endeavoring to devour us he will devour us with his accusations and with his lies he'll attempt to convince us that we're beyond God's redemption he'll attempt to convince us that we we saints have sinned how can we how can God forgive you? If having, having enjoyed His love, having enjoyed His forgiveness, you turn your back on Him again and sin, says the enemy. How can He forgive you this time? You're condemned. You'll rot in hell. You'll always have God's second best. My friends, if you are in Christ, that is not the voice of God. That is the voice of the enemy. I counsel you not to listen to that voice. He wants to trap us into believing that we are so wretched, we are so pitiful, we, have, we, we are so poor, we are so spiritually blind that God wants nothing to do with us. He wants us to be like Adam and Eve in the garden. What did they do when they sinned? Well, they didn't seek God, did they? They hid themselves from Him. I come across Christian brethren regularly who find it easier, arguably, to hide themselves from God. They avoid the place of Christian worship. Why? Because they are in sin. They prefer to hide from God. They avoid the place of Christian counsel. They avoid the place of corporate and private prayer. Because like Adam and Eve, they are hiding from God. Because Satan has convinced them, there's no hope for you. But there is no condemnation from a loving Heavenly Father towards His precious Son and precious daughter. For those who are in Christ. We have all failed. We have all felt condemned. 
We too have turned away and endeavored to hide ourselves from God. Not because we do not love Him perhaps, but because we like Adam and Eve have heard the voice of the enemy. We've believed the voice of the enemy and we feel totally and utterly ashamed. We feel wretched. We feel poor. We feel blind. We've listened to Satan's lies when he whispers that we are condemned for our sin. Brethren, Brethren, believe this, sin enslaves us, whereas forgiveness frees us. Sin enslaves, but forgiveness frees us. A little boy who was visiting his grandparents was given by his grandfather a slingshot for the first time. He practiced in the woods, but he found he couldn't hit any target. (laughs) He came back to his grandmother's back garden, and he spied her duck. And on an impulse, he don't know where it came from, it just came. On an impulse, he took aim and let fly towards the duck, half expecting to miss it, as he'd missed all the other targets in the woods. But lo and behold, on this one occasion, he hit the duck. And he killed it dead. The boy panicked. Desperately, he hid the dead duck in the wood pile. Only to look up and see his sister watching. Sally had seen it all. But she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes together. But Sally said, oh, Grandma... Johnny told me earlier that he wanted to help in the kitchen today, didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, remember the duck. Johnny washed the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children could go fishing. Grandma said, no, I'm sorry, I need Sally to help me make supper. Oh, Sally smiled and says, it's okay, Grandpa. Johnny told me earlier that he wanted to stay behind and help you make the supper, didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered, remember the duck. And Johnny stayed behind and missed the fishing trip and did Sally's chores helping Grandma make supper. Finally, after several days of Johnny doing his chores and Sally's chores, he could stand it no longer. And he confessed to his grandma, Grandma, I killed your duck. I'm sorry. Grandma looked at him and says, I know, Johnny, I know. She gave him a big catch. I was standing at the window. I saw the whole thing. I forgave you at the very moment that you killed the duck because I love you. And I wondered how long you would allow Sally to make a slave of you. My friends, how long will you allow the enemy of your souls, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, to make a slave of you? 
sin enslaves us. And Satan will keep us so enslaved for as long as possible. But forgiveness liberates us. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My dear friends this morning, seek forgiveness. You see, our Heavenly Father already knows that you've fallen into temptation and sin. Nothing done in the dark is hidden from a, a Heavenly Father whose, whose eyes, as it were, search the innermost recesses of our hearts. He already knows. He was standing at the window when it happened, so to speak. And He's standing looking upon you this morning and wondering, how long will they submit to being enslaved by the enemy? He longs for you to come back to Him. He's wondering, how long will they, they, they scratch around in that pigsty with the pigs? He longs for you to return to Him. How long will you feel wretched and pitiful and poor and blind when you're my child for whom I sent my Son? That son who shed his precious life's blood that you might know forgiveness, that you might know liberty, that you might be full emancipation from the, 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 the cords of the flesh. How long? He looks down, he says, my child, come back to me. The pig, the pig will never think about returning because he, she's never been a son or a daughter. But the son and the daughter, oh, come to your senses. Come to your senses and return to a loving heavenly father. And if you are in Christ, confessing your sins, acknowledging your need, then be assured, my friend, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Brethren, in order to break free from the power of the old nature, from the power of the old self, we must see ourselves as God sees us. God looks down from heaven and He looks upon you. And what does He see? What does He see? If you are in Christ, what does He see? He sees His son. He sees His daughter. He sees the very one for whom Jesus shed His life's blood. That's what He sees. Not a wretched person. Ah, the enemy will keep you where you want, where he wants you to be. He'll keep you feeling wretched. He'll keep you feeling pathetic. He'll keep you feeling sorry for yourself. He'll keep you in the mire. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I labor it because it's the reality, it's the truth. Al Christo. In Christ. My dear friends, you are loved with an everlasting love. If you confessed your sin, you are forgiven. Yes, you might hear somewhere uh, on the periphery. You might hear the accusations of the enemy. 
He uses weak vessels. He uses our own sometimes, our own brethren. But do not listen to him. Because if you are in Christ, the Father loves you. And you are forgiven. A child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hold fast, my friends, to this extraordinary promise. The promise of God's forgiveness in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. For such a wonderful promise as this. Oh, Father, Father, draw us back to yourself. From whence we have been. Perhaps, Lord, we have wandered away. Perhaps, Lord, we have heard the accusation of others. Perhaps, Lord, we've allowed the enemy to enslave us in our sin. Draw us back to you. The father who sees the prodigal from afar off. And runs. Runs to embrace him. That's our God in Christ. Draw us unto your bosom. That we might rest in the completed work of Jesus. For there is now no condemnation. For Doug Atherton. In Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh what a salvation this is. Christ. Liveth in me. Thank you Lord. Amen.